What's up? This is Ryan here from the Scale Up Show. I have a founder on today. Imagine that, Subu Bismanthanan. So he is the co-founder and CEO of Disperse. Something that I absolutely love that we talked about today was literally how AI is affecting work as a whole and, and how to integrate it and how to view it and how to look at it. And he actually has an AI platform designed around skill development. And so I love the, one of the reasons why I love this episode is because literally we get into like business use cases and, and how to approach it from a skills-based thinking and um, just really, really love what he talked about because essentially he's on his way to $100 million company, international, multi-product. So some really good things that we haven't covered in other episodes that are highly, highly relevant to basically anyone listening today. So look forward to seeing you in the episode. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Subu Biswanathan, who is the co-founder and CEO of Disperse. Some really cool things about him. Okay, so he's, like I said, he's the co-founder and CEO. This is his third startup, originally started as a McKinsey consultant. And the really interesting thing about him is he's transforming the way that businesses approach skill development, okay? And on top of it, too, he's leveraging data, AI, and skills, like kind of integrating them all together. He's also on the forefront of innovation, the learning and skilling space, which is like very near and dear to my heart. Um, Just had a recent round raise of, I think it's close to 30 million according to your website, which is fantastic, man. Welcome, man. Happy to have you on the show. Really excited with what you guys are doing. Uh, and I mean, on your journey to $100 million as a profitable business out of India. So, you know, give us really like what we're going to do is a revenue rundown, but would love to actually let's do that first. Let's do that first because we can go in a lot of different directions in your background. However, I want to start there first. So Give me a real quick backdrop on, you know, if we look at what your solution is and who it serves, like walk us through that in like two or three sentences so that you, the listener, have a good understanding of it. Sure. So we are a uh, learning, upskilling and talent mobility suite for the enterprise. Uh, So we we essentially help HR, talent leaders and business leaders uh, solve the problem of getting their workforce uh, be it a knowledge workforce, be it uh, the frontline workers, uh, sort of be ready for their current and future roles. That's the problem that we solve. Uh, and we throw that we do that through a multi-product approach. Uh, at, at the entry level, we have a enterprise class, mobile and cloud-first learning management system. Uh, then as and when our clients' digital maturity improves, we, we introduce them to the concept of skills. And uh, when they've passed that, we help them build capability academies that, that are deep skills and performance-based academies that help the problem of upskilling. Uh, so that's what we do. It's, it's, it's a multi-product suite, uh, and uh, we tailor our offering uh, to the client's digital learning maturity levels. I love the term of capability academies. I think that's cool. Like, I think I've never heard it coined that way before. So great verbiage and, and kind of mental positioning when it, when it comes to like how you kind of orchestrated that. Cause I've never heard it really phrased that way before. So love the concept of that. And like, I've seen that firsthand as a leader, like the hardest I ever got my team to work is when I was highly focused on like their long-term and short-term career outcomes that they wanted. Right. With the growth and the skills yeah. that they had. And that was like truly the hardest I've ever seen them work. Like they would run through a wall for me. 
So I imagine there's there's massive opportunity when you're helping companies implement that. So let's talk about where you're at in terms of the revenue journey. Like what stage of the, of the journey are you in revenue wise? Sure. So we're at the 10 to 100 journey. We did the 0 to 1, 1 to 10. Now we're well or well past 10 and we're at the 10 to 100 journey. I think what's unique about us uh, is, uh, uh, is, is firstly, uh, we, 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 we started in India. There are quite a few SaaS companies that have started in India and India is emerging as sort of the SaaS destination of the world. Uh, but even, even amongst SaaS startups in India, what's very different about us is our revenue mix. So uh, we operate in four geographies. India, which is which is our uh, which is our uh, sort of home market. Although although we are, India is no longer the the the, the dominant uh, uh, revenue contributor, Middle East, which is an exciting region, the region that I'm that's where I'm giving this podcast from, uh, Southeast Asia, which is uh, uh, six six or seven countries, and uh, and the US. And if you look at it, a lot of companies have that have started in India have either focused on India alone and grown to a particular scale. Or they've started from the US. I haven't seen any other startup that's got these four geographies so early in their journey. I think that's what that's what makes us unique, uh, because we, we felt our our purpose was to be a global company, and India was just a starting point. We internationalized like sort of second in the second year of our of our growth. Uh, we opened up the Middle East market, then the Southeast Asian market, and now uh, we're starting to see good traction in the US as well. So. Uh, so yeah, so I think uh, you must have seen a lot of companies in the 10 to 100 journey. I think what's very, very unique about us is the revenue mix, uh, the, the, the four, four diverse markets that we operate in. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's we, we can dig into that later because that's very unique of like tackling international in your second year. So obviously, I'm sure the experience and scars that you have from the first two startups that you did kind of gave you insights on how to maybe approach that. But let's let's... Let's um, go back to that. So what about your go-to-market strategy? So that, I mean, that's got me thinking like, how do you approach it from a go-to-market perspective, especially on an international basis? Like, what do you lead with? How do you grow revenue? What's your approach? The ICP that we sell to, uh, in a way, dictates our go-to-market. We are, we're a mid-market and enterprise uh, SaaS company. Uh, and our average revenue per, per account is, is sort of thirty to $50,000. Okay. So, um, so which means by definition, it's, it's, it's sort of field sales heavy. Uh, so where we start off with is the, 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 the whenever we think about a new market, we first think about the star account executive who's going to who's going to lead this lead that market. So we take the best uh, salesperson from our India team. Usually, the, the, our India team is is sort of the crucible for producing excellent account executives. And we've had uh, several stories of of, of people who whom we have groomed in India move to other markets outside of India. So we take the best salesperson from India and sort of relocate them parachute them into the new market and then we and, and then we build the rest of the rest of the sales portion okay that makes sense so then you have like kind of the 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 cultures and the the culture and the value kind of instilled in later as they transfer that to the new market so that makes a lot of sense how big is your team right now we are over 300 people okay excellent so that's a, you're a good size and then you just had what? What round are you in now? I know you just announced it. Uh, so this was a Series C round because we're from India. There are you can, uh, in terms of check sizes, a Series C uh, in this part of the world is sort of you can compare that with a Series B in the US or a Series uh, yeah a Series A plus in the US. All right. So so one of the questions I have for you is like effectively this is your third startup right that you've had and. 
There's literally like 0.004% of organizations that are able to escape that $10 million revenue range. And when I say escape, I mean surpass it, right? So what would you say is different this time versus the previous two times that that you created companies and like what enabled you to get past that $10 million barrier? I'd, I'd, I'd say two things. One is the versatility of our offerings. Um, uh, we sort of uh, continuously innovated from a single product to a multi-product company. So, um, so, so we had solutions for all kinds of customer problems that, are, that were related to learning from a first-time user of a digital learning platform to a very sophisticated one that's looking at building skills-based academies. So I think the, the diversity, it, it, it was never a single product solution. That also caused certain challenges, which I will come to. Uh, but, uh, but, but on, on the sales side, that gave, a lot of, uh, that gave a lot of muscle to our sales team, like whatever would be the problem. As long as it's related to learning, we have a solution. I'd say that's, that was number one. Number two is, I think um, fairly early on, uh, we, we've, uh, we've, de- we've made every region independent. We've taken a multi-country, multi-geography approach. Um, and and we've, um, uh, we've we've had the right leaders in each of these. We've been fortunate enough to have uh, excellent salespeople lead some of these geographies, uh, and and give them the, the wings to grow. So so on the product side, you had a little bit of pro- you had a fair bit of product maturity. On the sales side, we had the geographical reach. Uh, we went to US in the end because that's a different uh, that's a different animal altogether. Uh, so uh, so so I think that gave us the. Uh, product and the sales flywheels sort of both started kicking in for us to get to 10 million. Now the challenge is, how can we get to 100? Okay. So um, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, what I heard you say is diversity, right? Across product and people in region, right? So I think that's, that's super critical. So what are the other things that you kind of mentioned and it's, it's integrated a lot just in your, your product and, and what I see on your site is like use cases with AI, which I'm really passionate about. Because I think right now, if you look on social media or in the news, it's a lot of effectively like parlor tricks of like, look at this cool thing I could do, right? But it's not actually attached to business outcomes. And so like, what would you say are the, especially when it comes to learning, like the top business outcomes you see for organizations to deploy when it comes to leveraging AI to really just turbocharge the learning aspect? Yeah, so uh, we've integrated AI fairly early into our into our life cycle, and unlike other AI-based companies, we are largely uh, most of our use cases were on applying natural language processing, uh, and not classic machine learning. I'm not saying it, it's not there, but uh, but most of our use cases were around understanding the world of roles, jobs, skills, mapping them to courses, understanding learners' uh, uh, preferences, uh, uh, learning skill gaps, and then sort of developing some sort of personalization capability using AI. Uh, I just, it was quite NLP heavy. I think to, to your question on how can AI deliver business outcomes for learning, I, I see that at, at two levels. First is uh, what HR and L&D have always struggled with is how can I improve ROI on learning? Uh, and, and HR and L&D is always a cost function, which is uh, a huge problem for our category because uh, pricing is always very low compared to the product complexity. So you have far less complex products uh, that are able to command a much higher price on a per user basis than products in our category, which is very sad because we solve a very important problem. Uh, and and I, I often feel we don't get uh, uh, paid fairly for it. I think that's where AI can come in. Uh, because a, with, 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 with AI, you can actually 
uh, and with some of the capabilities that we are building to our platform is we, we are able to measure skills, quantify skills and relate that to, to hardcore business metrics. So one of our US customers said they were able to improve customer satisfaction from 4.2 to 4.6 as a result of using our platform. So, so we are able to show, uh, uh, you know, tangible business outcomes. Not and, and 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 with AI, we no longer say our impact is people spent twenty five hours uh, per per year learning. That's 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 not outcomes. That's just input. Uh, I, I think our ability to to articulate business outcomes, uh, despite it being an HR and problem, is 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 our biggest strength. And and AI is going to really help that. I love that, man, because like that's come up a lot. Like I've worked with HR customers before and HR SaaS companies, and they're always like, oh, we can't quantify our solution. It's HR related. And I'm like, bullshit, like everything is quantifiable, right? Like when it comes to, you know, whether it be time, motion, acceleration, time to value, like there's so many different ways you can quantify a result. So you kind of struck a chord with me and I think it's really interesting. It's like, okay, so how do you quantify skills? Because there's a wide range of skills, right? You got soft skills, hard skills, you got functional level skills. So how do you quantify skills and then deploy that in the model? Like, I'd just be curious from like a high level, like what's the framework yeah. that you leverage for that? Well, that's a great question. It sort of beautifully dovetails into how we think about the world of roles and skills. So uh, so firstly, um, uh, we've, we've studied, we, we know this space so well that, that you, we, we can even write a PhD on it. Uh, so we've studied various skill frameworks. There's the Singapore Skills Future, uh, the U.S. has an open data set called ONET. Um, and uh, in, in fact, the first thing we want to clarify is what is a skill, right? Uh, is writing pivot tables a skill? Uh, and, and, and the word soft skills and hard skills. So let, let me just answer them one by one. Um, so uh, we think of a skill as something very specific, something that can be measured, um, something that contributes to uh, an increase in performance in the workplace. Um, and and uh, we classify them into four categories. So functional skills, which are often specific to a to 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 a uh, to a sector. For example, if it's sales, the ability to negotiate negotiation is a is a functional skill. Uh, product solutioning is a functional skill. The second is uh, digital skills, which are quite important in this era. So uh, Excel is a digital skill. Uh, prompt engineering in today's world is a digital skill. The third category is leadership skills. Now we don't use the word soft skills. It's quite it's used quite um, frequently, the word soft skills is thrown quite loosely in, uh, in, in the world. I think soft skills are very hard. I, I, the, the best analogy is, is uh, one of my favorite actors says, comedy is serious business. So likewise, because it's very hard to make comedy movies. Oh, yeah. Likewise, soft skills are really hard. Uh, so we don't use the word soft skills. We call them leadership skills. And, and they fall into four categories, leading self, leading teams, leading businesses, and leading change. Hmm. And then the fourth uh, is, is an interesting category. We call them meta skills. Meta skills are skills that sort of amplify or diminish your levels on the other three. And the way we've thought about the world of work is every role in the world, every role in the world, be it a marketing manager, be it a, be it a data scientist, be it a sales account executive, be it a chief financial officer of a company, we believe we can break it down into between 12 and 15 skills across these four categories. Typically, four to five functional skills, two to three digital skills, uh, three to four leadership skills, and two meta skills. Uh, and that's how we've approached it. So we've, we've sort of looked at all the skills data around the world, synthesized it, and we've called it the atomic skills model. 
it's the it, it's how the it's how the world of uh, chemistry works right a few atoms combine into molecules uh, we we've, we've thought about the world of work that's way that way we think roles are sort of molecules and and you can break them down into scales uh, there, there are several analogies some 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 people use to use the analogy of lego blocks uh, but but uh, we being rooted in science we like we like the analogy of atoms and molecules so that's that's how we think about the world of scales now sorry for, sorry for the long introduction now given that you've defined this every skill uh, we've founded it on academic research that it can have five proficiency levels so medical professionals are measured that way uh, engineers are measured some 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 scientific uh, uh, papers suggest that engineers can be measured that way so we thought why can't every skill be measured that way so uh, every skill we've broken it down into five levels and we have specific assessments to measure people on those skills that's how we measure it Sorry, long answer to your short question. No, no, I love that. I mean, it's it requires detail. So, so basically, you got you know just to recap in a super simple way, you, you, you know, you got the like the the functional skills, the digital skills, leadership skills, and the meta skills. Those are kind of like and the atomic skills right. model, which I love. I love that name. I think that's super cool, right? So you have those different models, and then you have the different proficiency levels. Um, you know, across five different levels, right? In terms of like how good they are at that. That I, I captured quickly and succinctly. Perfect. That's perfect. And then like, here's the thing. Cause like, so you just looked at like all the like base frameworks in the world on these areas. And then you kind of distilled it down to this just to make it something that's, that you can kind of quantify and measure and track, right? That's right. And we've made it in a language that every employee will understand. If you look at, if you give it to HR consultants, I'm, I'm a former consultant myself, so I can joke about my former profession. The, the definition of a level three in account management will be so abstract that nobody will understand. But we've made it very simple. We've made it, uh, we've made it very, very learner and employee friendly that, that anybody can understand. Well, and, and like if you're looking at leadership, like I love the fact that you had it like self, team, business, and then transformation. You know, like I think that's, that's or change, I should say. Change it was right, not transformation, but change. Yeah. So like I mean, which is true, because like once again, relating it back to sales, like that that's how people make decisions when you look at it. It's like, okay, what's it gonna do for myself? What's it gonna do for my team? What's the enterprise value? And then like what's the, what's the pain of change, right? Um, is is often where people's head goes. So um, love that. So and this is like a follow-up to it, which is which is kind of curious. So like I know you mentioned prompt engineering as a digital skill, right? Do you think it's evolving yeah. different than that? Because like prompt engineering is is I would say more rigid or hardcore specific around like the efficiency of large language models, right? Do you think there's another area in between that where it's like large language models for actual real world business use cases, like? Like, where would you have that falling? Because it's like kind of a combination of like digital and change it's, the it's way I look question. at it, right? It's, 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 it's a wonderful question. So so let me tell you what, when I say product engineering is a skill, um, how do we think about the five levels? I said five levels, right? So think about level one as anybody in the world, I believe just as anybody in the world needs to use Excel, there, ha- there will come a time or, or the time is already here where everybody needs to use chat GPT for their day-to-day right. work. Because you can just ask it simple questions. So the ability to ask simple questions to chat GPT uh, to do a better version of a, of a web search is, is to us level one, right? Level two is to be able to provide it with more advanced input 
for your day-to-day operations. So maybe give it a document and ask it to do, do something else, right? And like like and like that level five is and level one and two are are are, are good enough for for most job roles in, uh, in 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 any industry or any function. But if you look at level four and five, that's where data scientists will need it. So the ability to fine tune a large language model for a particular use case, the ability to research um, OpenAI, Bard, Llama, and then find out which one's best for your use case, that's level five. So, so this, this, this is how we think about problem engineering and its spectrum as, as skills. Now to your question, how can, I, how can I leverage this for my business? We've actually created a separate skill for that. We call that AI delegation. It's the ability for you, it, 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 it's your ability to think about AI use cases to transform businesses. Okay. So, yeah, so, so, so we've actually created two skills uh, in the post-generative AI era, and we're educating our customers about it. Love that. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. I didn't even say this at the beginning, but this is sponsored by the Sales AI Accelerator, which is effectively what I'm doing is like applied how to use like large language models and integrate them into the sales or sales leadership function, right? And so the thing that's really interesting about what you just said is like, I am not a data scientist. Um, However, the two things that I do know how to do are I understand which models are right to use in which specific use cases. Like, okay, Bard is really good here, but they're terrible here, right? Like, so literally when I designed it, I, I basically looked across like Bard, Claude, and ChatGPT, kind of kept it simple with those three models. And I'm like, all right, these are the different use cases you use for each model. These You don't want to use these for other ones, all the way down to the point where it's just like, even browsing on ChatGPT is okay, Um but if you ask Bard a really specific question and get the research like tight, but not too much, it's it blows it away, right? So it's just interesting because it's like I think it's so it's so new. There's going to be some straddling back and forth with some of that, with some of it, right? Like potentially, you know. Um, so, anyways, interesting. So that's kind of just a little ramble, right? I don't even know if I had a question there. It was just a ramble. No, it's it's interesting. It's 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 great that uh, I've never seen anybody with a sales background talk. Uh, in such detail about different large language models, so I'm 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 super impressed. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I nerd out on it because, like, I'm one of those people that's like, I like being able to just identify outcomes that you want and uh, have it yeah. done. And I think AI is really good at that if you could do it effectively and descriptively, right? Um, so, right. anyways, so shifting gears a little bit, um, let's talk about like one of the things that I I know that that you talk about quite a bit is skill based thinking. And so would you classify those frameworks you just kind of went through and then like the rating scale, is that skill-based thinking? Is that kind of the bucket you put it in or would you say it's something a little bit different than that? Yeah. What I mean by skill-based thinking is organizations thinking about people with skills as the currency. As, as the currency. So which means you, you take the full cycle of talent management, be it from talent acquisition 
to how uh, which is essentially how you recruit people um, to how you measure people how you set goals how you advance people and how do you uh, uh, how do you do succession planning all of that in a skills when i say skills based thinking it's about organizations using skills as the currency to do everything that i just described so let's start with talent acquisition so typically how uh, a recruitment is done today is you write a job description uh, which is usually very badly written if you built if you try to do nlp and and large data analytics on job descriptions you will know how badly it is written um uh, so so it's it's it starts with writing a skills based job description um and 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 uh, sort of measuring people on it at the time of uh, at the time of recruitment so you say that for this role uh, these are the functional skills required these are your values that are important these are the leadership skills that are required and measuring people on it through specific interviews um and usually uh, recruitments it's a very subjective uh, there, there is no in most companies don't have good standards like companies like amazon and google do Uh, but amazon for example over indexes on their leadership principles which is right, which is great which i'm not saying it's a wrong thing to do but think about having a holistic skills framework and recruiting for that um uh, so so that's 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 how that's about that's about skills based thinking at the time of recruitment now let's talk about uh, performance appraisals so this year when we did performance appraisals for disperse usually the way companies do it is uh, it's just based on your goals which are actually very badly set in most companies yeah. Uh, and then and then people give you ratings now the way we did it is we said 40% of our if your rating is going to be for skills 20% is going to be on your values and 40% is on performance mm-hmm. so which means only 40% is based on how well you did in your in your goals the remaining 60% is all skills um uh, so so again uh, having that clarity that here is your role uh, having a very sharp jobs design saying these this job requires these many skills communicating it communicating it transparently to the employee and doing the same measurement every year and that will actually objectively tell you i mean if you when you do the measurement your your managers contribute towards it it's a 360 degree measurement uh, peer your peer group contributes towards it um, and and you as a self take feedback um, uh, and, and and using that to actually say that you know this person who's an sdr has now achieved his or her full potential as an sdr Uh, as measured by these and therefore is now ready to become an account executive as opposed to saying you know intuitively i feel i've seen uh, successful account executives i feel like ryan can actually make it that's how it's actually done before so that's that's what i mean yeah. by skills based thinking at the time of performance appraisal likewise use the same for succession planning use signs to say who can be the next ceo in your com- in your company Uh, and it's not just based on who's the best presenter or who has the best aura right it has to be based on other uh, other actual skills so that's what i mean by skills based thinking uh, i think uh, the world's moving towards experience based hiring to skills based hiring it's going from performance based performance de- uh, talent development to, uh, to 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 skills based talent development we want to sort of be at the forefront of innovation when we started this company 8 years back that was our vision i think the world was not ready yet uh now i think it's i'm very happy to say it's sort of getting it ready and we're also ready to ride the wave yeah well i mean it's it's kind of going money was so cheap for a while right so people weren't and i i, I can tell you firsthand cuz I, i dealt with a lot of ceos and they weren't really that focused on developing their people they were just focused on more you know just getting more people and now pendulum's kind of swung back because it's got to be profitable growth it can't just be growth right so specifically, specifically in tax so i think i think it makes a lot of sense with what you're saying Um what about so 
like kind of looking forward uh, and, and just changing things up. So you went multi-product already. And then at the same time, you're, you know, multi-country for international, right? Four different kind of hubs that you have, if you will. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you've experienced in terms of like growing that? Because like there's multiple levels of complexity every time you kind of split, right? So you got split with products um, and then you got split with language barriers and just building different teams in different environments, time zones, et cetera. So like what's the single biggest challenge that that you've seen from that journey? Just operating as a single company itself is a challenge. <laughs> Because um, let's talk about the customers. Uh, Different regions have different needs for the same problem. Um, For example, Indonesia uh, is is the largest economy in Southeast Asia. It's got 200 million people. It's it's a growth engine for for Southeast Asia as a region from from a macroeconomic standpoint. But if you have to play in Indonesia, um, culturally, it's it's a very different country. Uh, It's not an English-speaking country. Uh, while while India is uh, we are from India, India is an English business is done in English, and we are very comfortable with English speaking countries. Like Philippines is an English speaking country, Malaysia is an English speaking country, Indonesia, which is the largest market, is not. Um, likewise, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia is not an English speaking country. So the language starts with the language, and it also st- uh, starts with clients having different level of digital maturity. Uh, you would think that a cloud based HCM for a company is a given in the US. But that's not so in a lot of emerging markets. Uh, but at the same time, if you are serving a U.S. market, uh, the, the customer, certain customers are quite sophisticated. Um, so you're already talking about how you can integrate with an HCM, whereas a, 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 a customer in, in, a, in some other market uh, is not even ready. So, so I think the the the, the, the customer maturity. Uh, where they are in their in their evolution in the digital evolution, it becomes very different. And your products uh, tend to be quite different for for a customer who's early in the cycle and who's not in the early in the cycle. But, but if you are a multi 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 country, uh, if you are building a multi country product, it'll have, it'll have it cater to everybody. So you run the risk of um, appealing to appealing very little to everybody without meaning anything to anybody. That's the biggest risk. Um, secondly, just uh, sensitizing your organization about the cultural nuances from each of these countries is just incredible. When I, as I spend right now, as I said, I'm in Dubai. I've been here for the last two weeks. Every time I come here and interact with customers, I just realize it's so different from the rest of the world. And how do I tell the rest of the organization? How do I tell the product manager who's building it that this is a different customer? Their needs are different. It's just, just quite challenging. It's remarkably challenging. So how'd you do it then? Like, I mean, like, What's the, it's probably not a silver bullet, probably about hundred golden BBs, but like, what's the, what's the, the method of your madness in terms of doing that? Cause you said you started attacking that in year two with the, the multinational approach. Right. So, um, what, what's, you know, if you, you had, cause I were almost up on time too. So I'd be sensitive to that, but like, what would you have to break it yeah. down if you had to break it down into, you know, three, four sentences on, on how you, how you weathered that storm? Yeah. So, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't claim I, I wouldn't claim to have completely cracked it, but uh, but I, I'll tell you what a few things that we did. So, given we're a multi-product company, we just the first thing we did is break it up into multiple plans. And once we did that, it was clear to us that this particular market, this particular plan, not all six, not all six will apply to every country. Um, so, uh, product A has three plans, product B has two plans, product C has 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 one plan, and these are the six products. And 
product C, which is the most sophisticated, is too sophisticated for this country. Let's not even pitch it. So we sort of created a common language for our products. And, uh, and, and every territory, uh, every region has like two products amongst the six that, that sort of work for them. For them. Uh, so it started with that. So creating that common language helped. Um, and and uh, it helped from the product side, for those who created the product, they sort of understood where this, who's, who this product is for. Uh, so it didn't matter to them whether it, it's an Indonesian customer or, or, or an American customer. So that was the first step. Uh, the, 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 the second thing was uh, we have, we are moving slowly to a, uh, regional model. So our, our, uh, our VPs of sales in these countries, we are elevating them to be regional business heads. That's a huge shift, which means they're not just managing next quarter's revenue, they're managing profitability of their region. Mm. This is an 18-month journey. We're, we're sort of one year into that journey. Um, but I, I think we've, we're getting there. And now all of our regional leaders have done a phenomenal job of stepping up. So, which means they sort of get the full picture for that region. They are sort of the COO of that region. Uh, so th- that's how we designed the operating system of, of the company. And the third is, uh, which we started to do over the last six months is get all leaders together in a room for three days every quarter. Oh, wow. So that's when the mingling happens. Every quarter, huh? Uh, so it doesn't matter. We fly over the CRO from our US to India. Uh, the, the the head of the region from Middle East flies to India. The flight of Middle East, the head of region, uh, Southeast Asia comes to India. We all sit together um, and sort of have a cultural discussion, uh, have cultural interventions, have business reviews. So we've sort of made this, um, uh, built this muscle. It's it's starting to work. Uh, we still we still continue to see challenges. You know, no company is going to grow from ten to hundred without uh, going through the share of challenges. But these are things that have worked. That's fantastic, man. Well, I love that really unique structure that you you put together. I think the approach you're taking towards skills is something that's been needed for a long time. So uh, excited that you're on that journey. And Subu, it was really uh, it was great having you on the show today, man. I re- really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Disperse? And then we'll wrap things up. Sure. Uh, so they can uh, uh, any HR leader, uh, lending leader, or, or, or business leader, um, you can go to disperse.ai to, to find out what we do. Um, wherever you are in your in your learning and upskilling journey, we have a solution for you. And uh, yeah, you, you, you can take it from there. Excellent, ma'am. Well, appreciate you being on the show. And uh, thank you for joining us today. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.